that make I'm messaging you because I've been made aware of false claims that I am harassing a member of the Cousins. Your bandmate clearly doesn't know what harassment is. Your bandmate may be referring to my First Amendment, which is freedom of speech. I, on the other hand, was harassed by the same individual making these false accusations. It was the early morning hours of July 26, 2019. I told your band member to stop texting me. They went on a delusional texting rant for an hour, depriving me of my sleep. Your bandmate was texting me until the early morning hours a month beforehand, saying that they wanted to hang out in the hours when normally I would be sleeping. Your bandmate then went on to invite me to a cousin show where they completely disregarded my presence and was made very clear that my presence makes your other band member feel very uncomfortable. It appears your bandmate has ended up in an unethical situation due to their lack of work experience. This is why companies have policies in place to prevent these matters. I had no intentions to ever go into a cousin show again after being harassed by your band member and exposed to their unethical practices. But Darth Vader and R2-DTU invited me, so why not? And here we are. We are live. JW Megawatch. JW Make. I am your host, the Candyman. And today, you're in for a special birthday treat. Oh, uh, yeah, we got some fresh local tunes. We have a birthday cake. And it is America's birthday as well. The virtual audience is getting more packed by the second here on a Friday. Really going down to. Quarantine land. Yeah, so we are actually having a uh, outdoor comedy uh, tonight at seven o'clock, which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, right now, with this lockdown, we definitely have a lot of tracks coming out, local artists. Um, yeah, one in particular, actually, um, the Lucys. I don't know if you've heard of them. I actually saw them right before the the world went on pause at the Mercury Cafe, right there in uh, Hayes Valley, uh, right there on Octavia and Fell. Um, gosh, it's just amazing how much has changed since then. But at least, um, you know, the artists, all, all the artists there, you know, sitting back with a uh, marijuana cigarette in hand or maybe just, you know, an, an ice cold lemongrass tea um, or whatever that may be. Um, yeah. So uh, here we are, uh, an underground radio station here, MutinyRadio.fm, here at the, uh, the Mission District. Here is a local band um, called the Lucy's, and this is their recent single. It's called Honey. Great one.
Nothing like uh, fresh uh, rock and roll uh, to start your Friday here. Creeping up here on 420. The Lucys, you can find them on um, Spotify. You can find them on SoundCloud and just basically anywhere uh, you can find music. Um, yeah, just nothing like high-energy rock and roll. Like bring bring up your uh, your Friday uh, evening here. Um, we got a couple more songs before 420. This uh, is another local artist here called Dr. Stryker. And this song is called Rock and Roll. Yeah. 
Dr. Stryker here, MutinyRadio.fm here, um, Bay Area Music. Gosh, everyone's rocking out there. Just rocking out through the sound waves here. Playing tennis across the uh, the Bay Bridge over there in Berkeley. Yeah, actually, funny enough, um, this uh, next artist I'm about to play, I ran into them at uh, Oakland Music Complex. Wow. That is a great, great spot. I think back in 2014, I was in a band, a thrash rock band, high energy rock and roll band called Tensack. And we uh, we rented out a space there. That was a lot of fun. 24 hour access. You got a fob card. I'm like, you know, I'm not going to, you know, this is some of these places in San Francisco, they're great. Don't get me wrong. But Oakland Music Complex is, uh, is something very special. Yeah, so this uh, next um, artist, Mr. Andrew. Um, like I said, I did run into him. God, what a freaking brilliant man. Um, this is a, his a white album, Dirty White album. And uh, this song is uh, When I Get Lonely. It's still rock and roll. Yeah, rock and roll album. So all, all those people out there, gosh, I know what I do. Yeah, during these times. 
find a way to navigate the situation. Sometimes that's an ice cold beer. Sometimes that's, uh, I don't know, some yoga. Maybe that's your thing. I don't know. Maybe it's a little skateboarding, huh? Skateboarding the mission. Yeah, so this is a, a local band called Mr. Andrew, um, and this is their song, When I Get Lonely, here at MutiRadio.fm. That is the Dirty White album. Uh, we got an, one more song before 420. We're going to have a little birthday celebration. I guess, you know, America and some special people in our lives. Every day is a birthday. Every day is a birthday. Uh, so this um, this is another, uh, actually, local uh, busker here in San Francisco, Corey Harlan. Um, he actually ran off to Ivy League town um, a couple months ago. Uh, but this is uh, one of his latest songs. It's called The Everlasting. And here we are.
feel like I'm in a Zen garden. That was Corey Harlan, uh, The Everlasting. And um, we are coming up here in 420 in about two minutes. And uh, we are uh, it's a, speci- a special birthday celebration of America and all the other people out there celebrating a birthday. So um, I am going to uh, come up with a beat right now with this um, little throwback, uh, Chord Chaos Later. We are going to come up with a beat right now, and I'm trying to figure out what I want. This one, this one, oh my gosh, I feel like E40 right now. It's not as cool. Okay, that sounds, that sounds kind of fun. Okay, here we go. All right. Yeah, we'll loop this. Okay, now we need some funny noises. Twenty, y'all. Here we go. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear America. And Hanky. Happy birthday to you. Oh, wow. I feel like I'm in a... a, a, Wow, I don't even know what's going on right now. Jeez, I don't know. Maybe that was a little out there. Well, happy birthday. Happy birthday, America. Happy birthday to all those folks out there listening in that have a birthday or maybe had a birthday last week or maybe tomorrow or the next day. Um, And happy 420. Yeah. It's 420 somewhere, that's for sure. Uh, I have another local band um, here in Nalamora. This song is called The Munchies. Mediumradio.fm. Case of death, I got the munchies. Yeah, everything tastes so fucking great. I got the munchies, indeed. There's a fucking mountain on my plate. Yeah. 
Alamora here, MediaRadio.fm, a local rock and roll pop band, Berkeley and uh, San Francisco. Every time that I hear that song, I could be just down in the dumps. I could be in just the worst mood, but I don't know. I mean, this, this song is a happy song. It's a happy song. It's high energy. That is the way to do it. Where, um, here we are in a Fourth of July Eve. I know we don't have any fireworks going on this year. There's going to be some underground stuff going on Bayview. Um, there has been for all the years that I lived in Bernal. Um, gosh, Bayview has some amazing fireworks. And there's no clouds. So that is what I am going to be doing tomorrow. little proper social distancing 4th of July, um, which is, it is what it is, you know, um, definitely a lot of consciousness here. So, um, the, uh, the next band I'm going to play actually a little, little mellower, um, is EJ, EG Phillips here. I actually met him in the, uh, the open mic scene in here at San Francisco before it became a virtual open mic. I think everything's virtual now anyways. Yeah. So this is a song that he, um, actually wrote and is inspired by Clyde Always. <coughs> so 
not sure if anyone out there has heard of Clyde Oys. Um, San Francisco, he's a you know an underground myth. Uh, the Bard of the Lower Hate. So, gosh, I heard a rumor that. Yeah, so International Cafe is luckily um, still open and running. And eventually, when this whatever is going on decides that it wants to stop and we could reopen business uh they have an open mic on friday nights um right now you know the thing to do is to come here on the corner of uh 21st in florida for our outdoor comedy and that's been really fun um but here is a uh, eg phillips and uh this is a song called uh yeah it's a uh, clyde always setting my own pace so it's going to be a little switch up from the munchies. We are live, mutinyradio.fm. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, come on, come on, come on, step up. Folks, go and grab yourself a front row seat before the gong, they're going fast. You don't want to miss this. It's time for another exciting installment of the E.G. Phillips Show. With me, you're always clever, always handsome, always charming host, Clyde Always. And I ain't no common carnival barker, I am the Bard of the Lower Hate. And before I present this song tonight, this song written by our very own E.G. Phillips, I would just like to say a few words about how very beloved E.G. Phillips is in our world here, in the, the world of singer-songwriters, poets, comedians, uh, the open mic crew. Uh, I can think of no other guy on the scene uh, with a more sincere, loving demeanor as this guy right over here. What's more, he's a very talented uh, musician and lyricist and uh, as self-effacing as he is, I wish he would stop being so because he's, yeah, he's really one of the geniuses among us and he is one of the gods and we are the gods, you guys. We are the creators, are we not? We are, we create shit out of plump thin air and this guy does it the best. So without much further ado, I'm gonna do my very best with this one. If I, if I forget the lyrics, I'm sorry. If I'm talking too fast, that's just what I do. Here we go. It's time for setting my own pace. Setting my, oh wait, hold on. Nope, I fucked it up. I've got no obligations and there's nothing on my plate. I can jump the gun or be late out the gate. Forget setting base, let them keep their rat race. I'll face my isolation like it's something to embrace. I'm setting my own pace. I can walk the grace or I can schlep. I'm setting my own pace. I'm a one-man band, not a string quartet. I'm setting my own pace. There's no one else to motivate. And there's no one to impress. I've got no one to placate, and there's no one I need to please. There's nothing to negotiate. I'm free as a breeze. I'm nobody's bellwether. I'm nobody's black sheep. I'm not impact or hogtied or made too big on my knees. I'm setting my own pace. I can walk with grace or I can schlep. I'm setting my own pace. I'm a one-man band, not a string quartet. I'm setting my own pace. There's no one else to motivate, and there's no one to impress. Do wish it could be a duet Have someone to keep up with For some reason that hasn't happened yet I must maintain my stride nonetheless I awake in Marrakesh Where I booked a room with kitchen And I hear the call to prayer Echoing from the minaret Oh no, I slept all day So what? Who cares? It's hokey dope with me And I'ma calling all the shots I'm setting my own pace I can walk with grace Or I can step I'm setting my own pace I'm a one-man band I'm string quartet I'm setting my own pace There's no one else to motivate 
impress, no one to impress. Thank you very much. Fine gal, thank you very much. That's great. There we go, a little switching it up here. A little, um, a little barding. Gosh. You know what? The guy's a true entertainer. That's where it's at. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't even know. Like, I feel like, you know, SoundCloud, from, you know, being an artist, I, I, I really enjoy SoundCloud and Bandcamp. Uh, Spotify just seems like you gotta listen to a million ads before you wanna listen to what you wanna listen to. And they have control a bit. I know it's more accessible, but anyways, here we are. You know, underground radio station talking about Spotify, some the McDonald's of uh of streaming music, I guess. I like the underground Bandcamp and SoundCloud. It's great. Uh, so here I got up next here a uh, another local artist. They're a little indie rock band called Doer. Uh, they just uh, released an album. What was it last month? It's called Ink Blot. And um, this is their song. It's called Haunting Me. How much is a crime scene detective? I need the entire apartment inspected. I want every trace of her time here detected and placed in the bags and put out for collection. I wanna be free. Her ghost keeps haunting me.
his doer uh, latest uh, album, Ink Blot. That is a song called Haunting Me. It actually gets stuck in my head. Yeah. Really gets stuck in there. Yeah, Pam thinks so too. Yeah. Things are getting really, you know, things are really bizarre around here. Bizarre Cafe. Now they have an open mic out there. Back in the old days, you know, every Thursday night. Uh, they have a virtual, actually, open mic um, that I actually attended last night. That's fun. You know, doing our best during these uh, these times. Oh, the human interaction. I feel like, I don't know, anybody out there, you know, if you, whether you have roommates or not, it's just you're finding your own way to navigate through this, whatever it is. It's like unknown. Um, you know, I got a whole plant garden and stuff going. I've been letting them only plant for so long. Maybe not. Yeah, I got a little farm going on, a succulent farm. It's really fun. So, um, here up next, uh, here we have another local artist, uh, going by uh, J.W. Blunt. Um, this song is called uh, J.W. Megawag, and uh, yeah, so WEG and what WEG is and what it stands for, W-E-G, is Wicked Evil Grim, Grin. Um, yeah, so it's kind of dark. Some techno thrash for you guys here. Um, here we go, J.W. Blunt here, uh, MediaRadio.fm, live. We got the uh, outdoor comedy here at 7, so, gosh, it's like two and a half hours from now. You could probably walk here. From if, I mean, if you're in Beaker, Baker Beach, you could walk from Baker Beach and be here in time so uh hope to see you at the uh the, the outdoor comedy here is uh jw blunt jw megawig and we are live Ride the wake to the other side Ride the wake to the other side Playing my guitar like a brown-eyed girl Playing my guitar like a brown-eyed girl I'll be soft I'll be gentle, I'll be sweet and sentimental. I'll string you up, I'll strap you down. I'll pick you up, we'll go down to Chinatown. Ride the wake to the other side. Ride the wake to the other side. I'm playing my guitar like a brown eyed girl. Playing my guitar like a brown eyed girl. Rocket ship to Mars and Uranus. We could walk up the street, pretend like we're famous. Get down in the TL, down in the Tenderloin. Tenderloin Beach, ride the wave, ride the wave. Ride the wave to the other side. 
That is uh, J.W. Blunt here live, uh, MutinyRadio.fm. Gosh. That's as underground as it gets right there, huh? Got some underground, some real, true artists out here locally here in the Bay Area. All over the world, too. You know, just uh, floating through the sound waves here at MutinyRadio.fm. Just floating out there. Hope you hear it. Yeah. Wow, this whole lockdown, man. People, more people are listening to podcasts now. Can you believe that? I guess people were before too, but yeah. So, 
MutinyRadio.fm, and we've got a, something called, was it Tiki Desk Concerts. So we, uh, we had uh, an artist um, come through, Leah Dunn, and uh, she just released an album, too, earlier this, uh, actually, last week. I guess it was June 26th. Well, time flies. Um, and so she just came out with an album called Wetsuit. And, um, gosh, it's a great, every song on this record is just really well done. Here, a tiny um, telephone uh, recording. Um, and uh, here is actually a song by Leah Dunn. Uh, you can find her on Spotify. You can find her on SoundCloud, Bandcamp, and MutinyRadio.fm. Here's a, a song, it's called Weightless.
That is Leah Dunn here, MediaRadio.fm, new record, Wetsuit on Spotify. Um, yeah. Uh, volume 2, Tiki Desk uh, concerts here. You know, so MediaRadio.fm, you know, we're, we're not ever going to be McDonald's, you know. We're keeping, you know, true. Got some real artists around here. So I actually had uh, someone on the show a couple weeks back. Um, his name is Zach. He actually um, the uh, lead singer of this band, uh, Pretty Frankenstein. So it's a uh, local uh, native here. And um, yeah, just came out with this uh, single, um, was it Volatare? And uh, gosh, you know, it's always like when the uh, the artist has the lyrics in the profile. I feel like that that's something too. I mean, with with music and you know, with art. I mean, art in general, with music, artists are the sound waves, and I feel like it's more you know based on it's what it sounds like, and you feel it, you feel it before you even know like what they're saying in the song. So, um, what's also really cool. Um, about this song is that, I mean, I'm sure Bandcamp's got this going on, you know, for I think most a lot of artists out there, that um, it's going to be donated. So if you buy this track, it gets donated to it. Um, a Black Ma- Lives Matter movement uh, foundation. So uh, this is a uh, pretty Frankenstein here, MutiRadio.fm. This is a song called Volatile.
That is Pretty Frankenstein. They are out of Richmond, actually. Wow. Remember what happened on, on the show? The um, wasn't a thrash rock band, and we did a show. Gosh, something Dead Ramen or something. There was an underground punk venue in 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 Richmond, and I remember we um we played a, a set there, and they had a freaking rattlesnake in an aquarium in the back. And I'm just like, with all this mosh pitting and everything going around, and you got this aquarium with a rattlesnake, it just seems like a, it seems like it's just, you know, doomed. Gosh, I forget whether it was Burnt Ramen. I remember he was telling me about that. Yeah, I mean, it's super underground, and the East Bay punk scene is fucking awesome. You know, there's people freaking rocking out there. Um, look forward to Gilman. Uh, street being reopened when that when that does happen and you know eventually it will happen. Um, so uh, this uh, tiki desk we actually have it was a local artist called Sid Birdie uh, that is going to be uh, playing a tiki desk was it on the twelfth? Um, and we have another uh, artist called Chroma C that actually played uh, a couple weeks ago. So I'm going to play you this song. It's all instrumental, uh, which is great during these times. I just feel like sometimes you just need some instrumental a little therapy. And so this song is called Rabbit Holes by Chroma C, and they're everywhere you can find music. They're local here, and um, you can find it as a tiki desk as well. Um, so it's Chroma C Rabbit Hole here live, mutinyradio.fm.
tell little Megs to put on a big old panties and give me a guau. We are winding down the show here. We got a um a nice uh, a track, a couple of nice tracks. We're gonna um, close it out with here. Gosh, you know this stuff. I just feel like I'm on like some sort of opiate when I listen to this chromacy. I feel like it's just why you know why even take that you know those meds that you're on you know you know that's the thing I was talking to somebody um, yesterday. It's like you drink, you're drunk. You don't drink, you're bipolar. Have ADD, no matter what. There's always something, right? And um, yeah, so uh, the uh, uh, sunk uh, a local band. Um, their song "Lightning," the one we're listening to right now, is the one that has become my Candyman theme song. Gosh, on this record. Yeah, so this is this is this is my theme song, "Sunk." Um, their local band here, bass here. The gosh, around the panhandle is fucking awesome. Everyone's locked down to the extreme. Uh, so th- this is uh, off their song or their album called "Music for Moving," uh, which was released last year along with. Gosh, they're pumping out records like Came out with two records last year, um, and then they also um, recently came out with this song. Um, I think it's kind of spoofing on kind of the current events that we're in right now um, called 2020. I think it's on Bandcamp. And so it's a song and a track that is titled 2020. And um, it's pretty symbolic. It's 20 minutes and 20 seconds. So, uh, it's 2020. Yeah, Sunk 2020. Yeah, so, um, this is, uh, Sunk. And I was gonna leave you guys, um, with something sweet here. Uh, we already dipped into the birthday cake over here. It's been great. Someone's birthday out there. Talk him into come out to uh, Tiki Desk concerts. Yeah, really fun. So, um, so yeah. I mean, I know everyone's out there. You know, find a way to navigate through this. Um, I feel like you know it's raised a lot of consciousness overall about everything, and mental health is definitely one of those things. So, yeah. Mental health is, you know, you're not the only one struggling out there. Anyone feels like they're losing it a little bit. Um, somebody said, because there's that St. Mary's Pub, my local uh, water hole um, on Crescent on Mission Street in Bernal. And uh, Dina, one of the uh, bartenders there, uh, now they're actually open for outdoor seating, which is excellent. So if you're trying to, you know, get out, go somewhere and, be socially distanced. Um, St. Mary's Pub is open, so that's a, that's a great spot. And so Dina, one of the uh, bartenders there, she's actually at Bender's as well, she had said that if you haven't lost your marbles by now, then I'd be concerned. So people out there, I don't know, the whole marbles thing is was an interesting and funny uh, thing to say. 
I told her I think it'd be really funny if I just whipped out a bag of marbles. <laughs> I had like a bag of marbles in my pocket. Um, non-binary area over here. I'm definitely a they or them. But I thought it was pretty hilarious. So, um, St. Mary's Pub. I, I, I actually, hey Pam, is Bender's open? Yeah, it's, damn it, Bender's isn't open yet. So go to St. Mary's Pub. Um, I don't know. If you want to be all basic and shit and go down Valencia or something, maybe that too. Maybe support your local um, liquor um, stores, family-owned liquor stores. Um, but anyways, yeah, here we're rocking out here in uh, San Francisco. Always, I feel like, you know, sitting back here on the show, um, it's been really fun on Fridays. I feel like sitting in the lab and with all these little buttons around me, like the only thing that has stayed the same is this show and this radio station and the whole world has changed around me, but this show has has been here. So, um, yeah, I'm wishing everyone out there to, you know, stay positive here on the 4th of July, be safe. Um, and we are going to, uh, wrapping up the show, we're going to close it out, uh, with Sunk, <laughs> one of my favorite local bands here, and this is a song called 2020, and it's 20 minutes and 20 seconds of just therapeutic music, so I'm hoping you're struggling out there, you're not alone, that maybe this track will bring, you know, instead of, yeah, yeah, so here we go. 2020, when
That was twenty minute and twenty second track. That is the longest song I I've ever heard. Um Thank you all for tuning in. JW Megawig Show. Next week we're having Sid Birdie on the uh, Tiki Desk Concerts. That should be a lot of fun. And we will see you at the Outdoor Comedy at 7 o'clock here, right on 21st in Florida. And stay tuned. In blood pudding and have some people say that I'm like doing satanic practices or something. So I'm leery around the term ritual sure, because sure, sure, people sure. can take that and run with it. All kinds of weird places. Um, right. Well, so you're anyway, like a celebrity yeah, now, I, so you you have to you do have to watch <laughs> what. No, seriously, because words of people. I, that's I'm not sure the word I would use necessarily, uh, but millions. I have a higher profile than I used to. Millions of people have seen you, like certain, sure. and all of yeah, the skills that. True. I mean, do you feel like this was the pin, this is what you've been working your whole life for? Like all of your skills came to fruition for this time that you were able to survive I mean, not just for that time for for similar things for all time it definitely felt like a fruition of a lot of things but it, i don't like to think of it as like an end goal because then what what do you have after an end goal <laughs> right sure so yes it was definitely a culmination of um of things that have been a huge part of my life for decades um yeah but i hope that it's not the last time oh, no. that i get to use all of those skills that I'm sure you're using the skills right now. Um, so back, I didn't a dance background. So were you a dancer as a child? Because you, no, not at all. Um, I mean, I am someone who. Lo- I mean, I guess yes, I got dragged to ballet at four, and you know, did somersaults and tutus and such. But that's the that's the sum total of my dance background. I mean, I'm I'm someone who loves dancing, and have taken you know, I have taken different dance classes, but um, mostly just free form. Um, you know, like five rhythms and ecstatic dance and that kind of thing. Um, I wouldn't say it's a background, but just something that's a part of who I am and something that I really love. Rad. I just, uh, yay. Um, okay, so I have all of these questions about cameras. Did they train? Okay, so mm-hmm. it was a crazy show to watch because it was beautifully shot. And I know that some of it was be real and like they are a show and they, mm-hmm. they're doing what they do. But the majority of the and stuff... they go over sites with drones occasionally and that kind of thing. So they do, you know, bolster what we do. But you are your own camera person, which I don't... It took me yeah. a while to realize that. I'm like, so do the camera crew... I kept thinking, like, the camera crew gets lunch, like, while they're starving. That's inhumane. That's terrible. But then I realized, like, wait, 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 no. No, there, no there's no camera There's crew. no one there. No, right, no. It, it's actually literally... I mean, the show is called Alone for a reason. Yeah. It's quite literal. Yeah. I just didn't believe it at the beginning, and then I'm like, okay, this is real. So, did they t- teach you how to use camera, or did they tell you like what shots they wanted yeah. you to do, or where? Okay. Yeah. No. Absolutely. That's a big part of the prep before going out. Is um, is yeah the the camera training, and that happens also in their selection process. Um, you know, when they 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 had for my season, I think they had twenty thousand applicants Whoa. to be on alone. Um. And then, and, and I didn't apply, they, they called me. Um, and so, you know, I kind of got a, got a leg up in that whole process. But, um, but then they narrow those 20,000 down to 20, in my case, 22 people. And then they bring us out to New York for a week to do a bunch of different assessments, um, skills assessments, you know, physical tests, psychological tests. And in that, they do a bunch of camera training. And then they're also, um, I think they're also really paying attention to see who cares to dive into the camera training and who's actually really 
um, prioritizing learning the camera skills because you can have all of the survival skills in the world, but if you're not that interested in shooting well, then they don't have a show, right. you know? So very important that, um, that they select people who care to do a good job with the camera training, which, you know, I did. Yeah. Um, I mean, so, it was beautiful. It was beautifully yeah. shot. And even like when you're, I guess kept thinking like, how much time are you spending with the camera because the sun is going down and you're chipping through this ice and it's 18 inches thick and you didn't have the ax. You had your cool thing that you chopped the trees down with and, and you're just going and going and going. And I was like, how much time did the camera take to set up? And then you have to take it home and well, all these and other that, like, yeah, and that's, that's a huge component. And honestly, you know, I would do it differently now than I did then. I was very, very invested. I mean, really the reason why, and there were a lot of different reasons why I decided to do alone, but a big part of it for me wasn't, you know, I wasn't about the competition. It would have been great to win on some level, sure. And there were some levels where I didn't actually think that winning would be the thing. Um, but m one of my main goals was to demonstrate a different way of approaching survival than what one usually sees on these shows. And, you know, it usually tends to be about like competition and coming from this very antagonistic place with the natural world. And like, mm -hmm. you know, it's me versus nature. And, you know, even one of the shows is called man versus wild, right. you know, and that is the polar opposite to my perspective and how I wanted to be out there. So for me, it was the opportunity to share my perspective with the world stage and knowing that the, you know, the better I did, the more I, the more I proved that going about things from a place of connection and reciprocity rather than domination and, you know, competition is a viable strategy, is a viable strategy for survival. So, um, because that was such a goal of mine, I really took a lot of time with the filming, and that was a huge part. I would say half of my daylight hours and, you know, calories and time and energy went to getting really good shots. Wow. And it, would, it would affect what I did, you know. I would choose to do things, like I would process my animals during the day, during the daylight hours, so I could get really good footage of it, when for me, practically speaking, it would be way better for me to leave that animal in my shelter and do it at night because there are tons of things I can be doing out on the land when the sun is out that I can't do in the dark. And the sun was only out for four hours a day by the time I left. So every daylight hour was so huge. And yet I sacrificed a lot of them to get the good camera angles and to set up the good shots and do the good filming. And then it was so disappointing to watch the show and see that like way less than 1% of the things I filmed made it onto the show. And I could have done, so I, I could probably have had twice as much food if I had had twice as much time. Oh. Well, honestly, I'm not sure that that's true because my spot was so resource scarce, but you know, I could have done much better in terms of the survival aspect had I not put so much energy towards filming really well. Um, so, you know, I don't want to say that anything is a regret because it was the most amazing experience I've ever had. And had I shifted some things then maybe other things that I can't know now would have shifted and that would have been a bummer. But I would do it differently in terms of so much time and attention towards filming well if I was to do it again. How many hours a day did they ask you to film? Because we were we were asked to film absolutely everything we did. Wow. So what did they give you batteries we every time? We legally require that. 
so we had we had a way to recharge our own batteries. We had a big, like essentially like a big car battery uh-huh. um, that we could recharge some of the batteries ourselves. But then they would also give us a ton of batteries when they came to do medical Med checks. checks and then figured. also early on when they weren't doing medical checks and when the lake wasn't frozen, they would um, they would do what they called blind drops, or we would have a dry bag and we would leave our dead batteries and our SD cards with our footage on the shore in a dry bag, and they would come by with the boat and grab that bag and replace it with a bunch of fresh batteries. So and, we, but they wouldn't you know, talk they never to wanted you. us to be without batteries. Of course. No, no, like... we, we didn't even see the boat. We weren't supposed to be anywhere near shore when they did that. They would let us know, okay, we're doing a blind drop today. Don't be anywhere on shore, you know, between this hour and this hour. So did you look forward to med checks just because they were people, like when they started happening? Or was it like, oh, med checks, I don't want to, I don't want to know, or no, I didn't. I didn't really look forward to them. I felt like it really interrupted my routine. I mean, oh. one thing is that a day with a med check was kind of a lost day oh, in terms right. of food no gathering because they would give me a window when they, when they were coming, but they didn't know when exactly. So I couldn't be that far from my shelter, and my trap lines were a good ways away from my shelter. Yeah. Um, and so it meant it meant losing a ton of time. It meant like stripping. I mean, they weighed me. I had to strip down in the freezing cold, yeah. you know. Um, and it just when you're so adjusted to being out there on your own like I wasn't lonely I was loving it I like really had this beautiful um connection and solitude and um you know having a helicopter land and a whole bunch of people come out and you know poke and prod you and ask you a bunch of questions it's very disruptive and it was a whole different energy and it took me a while after they left to kind of get back to my serenity after everything being so stirred up in this whole different type of interaction. Um, so I know I did not look forward to the medical. I mean, I really had a deep connection with a lot of the people um, who were coming with the film crew. Like I really appreciated them as people. And so it's not like I didn't enjoy the interaction when they were there, right. but it was still so disruptive that I would rather have not had it. And towards the end, you know, I was having medical checks a lot more often because I was dangerously underweight and I knew they were very, very concerned about me. So I had the fear of being pulled up you know, all the time. Um, right. I got my first warning that I was on medical alert on day 40. Whoa. And so 33 more days, I was out there wondering when I was going to get pulled and having medical checks way too often that were very disruptive and actually really um, affected my ability to bring in food a lot. So it's like, yeah. you're underweight, so we're going to check you more often. And it's like, well, the more that you check me, the more underweight I'm going to get because that's the whole day that I lose a lot of my trapping capacity. Uh, how far, you said you're, Traps were a ways away, like a mile. I'm just trying to think calorie wise. No, no. no not uh, that far. I mean, uh, it changed all the time. You know, okay. I had different trap lines set up. I was constantly, I mean, every day I was checking and resetting because I had fishing line and not snare wire. Fishing line rabbits can chew through in, you know, oh, half a yeah. second. So I was constantly, constantly having to take down and reset up other snares and you know the rabbits would be onto me if I had set up a bunch that they had just nipped off in one area they would stop using that area so I had to constantly be exploiting other areas and you know so there was no set trap line that was there all the time it was you know constant strategizing and shifting up what I was doing how so many sometimes I don't know probably as far as half a mile okay not not a whole mile away and you know I my territory you don't know how big your zone is, you know, you're not, you have boundaries, you're not allowed to cross, but it's not like they're marked, you know, this is way out in the wilderness. So the way that I would know is if I 
got a little blip on my GPS device. What? Um, and then let's talk about so, the beavers. Oh, oh, I saw the thing when you talked about the beavers. I want to talk about the beavers. So when everything finally freezes <laughs> up and you're like, all right, I'm going to go get those beavers. And you get over to the beavers, you can't get to dang beavers. And then the frozen river and the beeping and the leaving. That was crazy. So yeah, did you, that was, was that the first time that you <laughs> felt, was that the first time you felt real fear or were there other moments where you were like, I could die right now. Was that the only moment that was at like the end of your journey and you were like, whoa. Yeah, that was the only moment. Really? Sure. You yeah. never felt any, like mm-hmm. that was a kind of fear that like, I can imagine it's like inside, you're like the pit of your being is like, oh, whoa, we need to be well, and the careful thing with that frozen here. river was, yeah, I mean, that was like, I never felt any threats from the outside. Like being on the river, that was my own fault. You know, that was that was my own poor choices right in that moment. So I didn't really have anything. So I felt fear, but I also felt like shame at like, wow, that was a really stupid choice. You just really put yourself in jeopardy. Um, but that was the only moment. No, I really, you know, I, I understand that it maybe should have been scary and um, that it would be for a lot of people. But I felt so seen and held and wanted by that place I just really didn't feel like there was anything out there that wished me harm and even you know I mean I was out there on top of that frozen river because I'd been following wolf tracks um, across the ice and you know wolves are big predators but I you know I didn't feel like I was in any danger which is not true you know like (laughs) something could have decided that I was an even you know an easy meal but even so I mean, my deepest desire was to be a deep part of that landscape, and that is part of that is part of living wild and wild systems. And so, in that way, I mean, I'm sure that had I been attacked by a wolf in the moment, it would have been very scary. But you know, better was to go out that way as part of a beautiful interaction in a wild place than to get taken out in a car accident. Sure. You know. Did you have an so, arrow knocked? So I wasn't. Did you have an arrow knocked uh, when you were on walking? That, no, I didn't have an arrow knock. I'm trying to remember if I even had my bow with wow. me. I probably did because I brought my bow everywhere. But no, I definitely didn't have an arrow knock. Because you were I just walking and having my bow with me on that trip. You were just yeah, experiencing I mean, you the know, beauty of the place. It's not that common for wolves to take out people, and especially in an environment where they don't see people. It's not like we're on the menu. It would be an right. unusual animal that's like, what is this thing I've never seen before? I guess I'll figure it out by eating it. You know, <laughs> generally that's. There would be a curiosity. You know, the place where you see problem animals is places where humans have been encroaching into wild places a lot and affecting wild animals' ability to get game. You know, like bears attacking people. That happens usually in, like, campgrounds and such and places where they're used to associating humans with food. Um, So, yeah. I mean, which is not to say that, you know, that they mightn't be motivated that way. But (laughs) it just wasn't. I didn't feel in my gut that I was in danger in those ways. Right. So just from yeah. the I had one water. moment when I was coming back. Yeah, just from standing on top of water, you know, of of ice that was way thinner than it should have been to me be standing on top of a frozen river. I just didn't realize. And for the for the you know listening audience right now, what she's referring to is a night pretty far out. I think it was night seventy, maybe sixty nine or seventy. Um, I, I had hiked out across the ice. 
I was way out of my bounds. I didn't realize that because the GPS signals and satellite signals are um, really bad out there. So the message telling me that I was way out of bounds didn't come until I was already far out. Um, but it was kind of dusk. I couldn't really, you know, the light was starting to go. And I was in this area on this lake, which is this huge lake, um, where the ice was starting to be uh, not flat, but kind of bubbled. And I was curious about it. And I thought that it must have been, you know, vegetation or something. And I didn't realize until I was already pretty far out that the reason why it wasn't flat there is because it's actually a, a river. And so it was like the bubbling flow of the river that had frozen and it was not very thick ice. And um, because that's what happens, ice that's on top of flowing water doesn't, doesn't freeze very quickly. So it's a really dangerous, really sketchy place to be. And I just, you know, and, and that it was so enthralled it was by dusk. following these wolf tracks. The, the dusk, yeah, so they couldn't they have come to help me. They couldn't have flown the helicopter. They, yeah, they wouldn't have Not been that able. they could have gotten there. I mean, if I had gone through ice on top of a fast-moving frozen river, there would have been nothing they could do. I would have been stuffed <sighs> under the ice anyway, and <sighs> the helicopter would have been a non-issue. <laughs> when I knew that, you know, that was, that was, that's the, you know, I've done a lot of wilderness trips in my day and I've never in my life had a button I could push for someone to come save me so (laughs) that wasn't really part of my reality out there like I knew that everything I was doing was a calculated risk and that you know the chance of rescue was a pretty remote one so that that didn't figure into my thinking out there um that's why you're a superhero you're fearless Um, you're a fearless feminist (laughs) superhero I'm not fearless but that those aren't the things that I'm most afraid of I guess Wow. Okay, so let's switch gears. What are the top five most beautiful things you saw up there that you could, there's probably got to be more than five, Mm. but that you hadn't seen in any of your wilderness journeys that you were just so majestic that that they didn't show on the show. I mean, they showed a lot of the Northern Lights and I kept being like, is that, that's crazy. Those are, wow. Um, They are crazy. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that area, Yellowknife, um, in the Northwest Territories, is um, a worldwide destination for Northern Lights tourism. I mean, the streets are awash with tourists um, who come there to watch the Northern Lights. So, yeah, all that footage was very real. Uh, So, yeah, the Northern Lights definitely. I'd seen Northern Lights before. Um, I'd lived in Northern Ontario for a brief time um, and seen some pretty spectacular Northern Lights there. But, yeah, that was those were really, really amazing. Um, the night that I was out on the ice, the night that they showed the footage of where I was trying to get through the ice and realizing that it, in the course of the couple days that I hadn't been out on the ice because there'd been a really intense storm, a really intense storm that dropped the temperature about 20 degrees with just whipping winds. And that storm, the ice went from about four inches thick to about you know 18 to 24 inches thick. Um, so I had been able to get through the ice with the same technique I was using before that. And then all of a sudden there was no way, but that ice, that, that, that night, that sunset was the most epically beautiful, awe inspiring evening of my entire life. And it was really frustrating to me that what they showed instead was me failing to get through the ice and they inserted bleeps. I'm fairly certain I wasn't actually cussing. Um, I don't know for sure. Maybe I was, but they, but they made it look like a hardship and it was one of the most amazing nights in my life such that like I just fully surrendered after that and was like, if they pick me up tomorrow, I don't care because I got to have this night out on the ice. It was this experience where I was out there and the ice was completely scoured clean, just a mirror surface from this really intense storm we had had for days and days with heavy winds and, you know, like scouring the ice with snow. Um, 
and the sun was going down and because the storm was just clearing there were a lot of clouds so the color was really intense and the sky was just this amazing hot pink orange you know beautiful colors and then i'm standing on this ice that is so smooth that it's reflecting the sunset back at me so it's like i'm standing in the middle of the sunset you know i'm completely surrounded by sunset colors everywhere and then the night was just so gorgeous once i figured out that i couldn't get through that ice i just decided to go further out onto the lake and just revel in it and i got further out into the ice in an area where the the pressure of the ice freezing so fast had cracked the surface of the lake so it's all of these different pieces of ice that had all been kind of pushed up by the pressure of the cracking and so they were all of these little pieces that were all sitting at a different angle to the sky so each one was catching a different color like superman and and reflecting that back at me it was yeah yeah it's only sunset superman ice cave sunset time so epically unbelievable and then as i'm out there on the ice the moon is rising and it's like exactly half of a moon and exactly vertical so that's rising up over the island as this amazing it was just the most amazing experience of my entire life and you know why didn't they show that you must with beauty do you get to keep the footage? Well, because they want to show the drama. No, no, you don't get it. You put footage. the footage. Well, they honestly, can't... I didn't bring the cameras oh. out there. <gasps> I mean, I did take footage. No, I did take footage of the moon rising, but when I went out to where there was the puzzle pieces, I left the camera set up by that hole, and I just wandered out by myself, which I wasn't really supposed to do. But it was, like, too epic and amazing. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. Um, you know, they could have showed. There was a lot of footage of it. There just wasn't the footage of the, like, me on the puzzle piece part of the ice um but because that's not you know they're trying to build the drama and this is the last couple days and so they're trying to pitch this like you know battle to the end between me and jordan and um you know so just the beauty and wonder um most of my most epic moments i took great footage of that they didn't show Um, they should give you that i also had a a moment yeah yeah they don't they don't do that um it would jeopardize their show i think is their their perspective on it so yeah those were those were i mean i could go on there are a bunch of them but um (laughs) more beautiful moments no no please (laughs) what what are your other epic like things that were i mean because that's there are so many you can just pick a random one the the whole place yeah okay so so one moment that was really really profound early on um i mean the whole thing was that like early on when we first launched it was you know, we had just been having our first intense frost. Um, so everything was changing. The leaves were all changing. So this super, super stark landscape, you know, a huge lake that's like a steel gray most of the time and mostly bare rock, you know, this really amazing granite and huge towering cliffs, you know, vertical cliffs. And the whole landscape is so enormous. You can't even begin to wrap your mind around it. So like this super stark landscape with these amazing just flame colors of fall you know and I had this moment after being out there for you know going on a couple weeks and not bringing in any food besides just a couple handfuls of berries and recognizing that rather than feeling weaker and weaker I'm feeling better and better and there was just this moment where I realized that I was shifting on a physiological level to where I was learning to be fed by beauty instead of by food and just that like that all hitting me in one moment standing on this rocky precipice looking out over this landscape looking out over this lake and recognizing that even though I'm starving and I don't know how long I can keep going on starving like 
there's no place in the world I would rather be or anything I would rather be doing in that moment. And just that epic beauty being so profound that it just brought tears to my eyes. You know, I just like, there's no way to hold all of the emotions in my body. And it just came through in the form of tears um, and recognizing that like I could, I could live on beauty now and I could do that for a really long time and had every intention of doing so. So that was a really profound moment. Um, I had a moment where I was at my cabin working on it and heard and heard a big kerfuffle of birds, you know, like I, I was really keyed into birds out there um, and I knew their patterns. And so I could tell that there was something unusual happening and um, and going out to where I heard this and seeing this kind of a classic bird language moment, which was all of these birds in a shape that we call in bird language a parabola around the top of this tree and looking in the top of that tree and seeing a huge um, predatory bird up there, uh, a northern goshawk, I believe it was, which is specifically an avian predator. They're, they take out birds, and so there's something that birds really react to. So having that moment of like being keyed in enough to the landscape to think something's going on, something big is happening and then going out there and finding the source of it and getting to see this amazing bird that I've never seen before in my life. That was a really profound one. Um, I had a really profound encounter with a fox um, that was really beautiful. Um, yeah, I mean, seeing tracks, seeing wolverine tracks, you know, I'd never seen wolverine tracks, seeing lynx tracks. That was amazing. Wolf tracks. I mean, all of these wildlife encounters that were creatures that I haven't had the opportunity to live in the territory of before. So, and even though the lynx tracks and the wolverine tracks were like dogging my trap line and potentially major competitors for my food, it was still so amazing to see that, that it, it felt worth it. You know? And so you never, um, it sounds like you just didn't feel alone at all. <laughs> like hmm. you were interacting so How could I? I was so surrounded deeply. by life. Yeah. That it was, yeah. It, it's like a completely different journey than other people took. Did the camera... Help you Apparently, feel... which I didn't realize until watching it. Yeah. You know, like, that, that... I had no idea how different my journey was to other journeys until I was watching the show and thinking, oh, my God, I had the time of my life. And these people are out here experiencing the exact same conditions in the exact same place and suffering so hard. Right. That was a really profound realization for me, just how, I mean, I knew what a big difference attitudes made. And, and like we talked about, you know, like a lot of my preparations were strategizing routines for myself to help me stay in a place of connection and gratitude. But it wasn't until watching other journeys, you know, other folks on my same season that I really got on a deeper level, how profound a difference that was. It must have, it must have killed you to watch Jordan sit there and complain and be like, Oh, I'm starving with 200 pounds of moose. <laughs> Look at this. I thought that was so funny, but it did I mean, my interpretation of it wasn't that he was complaining as much as that the show was choosing to ah. take those moments out of his footage okay. to make it seem like he and I were neck and neck. Right. Um, so, you know, I have enough experience in knowing how many things I filmed and the things that they chose to show of my things in a way that misrepresented my journey that I believe that that is what they were doing with, with him, too. Sure. Not misrepresented, but just, you know, picking and choosing to get a certain impression. Right, to um, get the story that they wanted. I knew that Jordan was nowhere near as poorly off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because they're, I mean, they are, it is a TV show and they are creating a story. Did you, did the camera become like a friend to you? Did you, when you were, oh, absolutely. So it was like, yeah. it's, because it, it feels like 
you're talking to me when I'm watching, we're talking to us mm-hmm. or, you know, the audience. Yeah, no, I was very aware of that. And, you know, and I don't know how different the sense of isolation would have been if I didn't have that relationship with the camera. I mean, and again, so much of my intention was around showing something beautiful to the world. That was a big part of my mission. And so in that way, I engaged with the audience perhaps more than other folks might have because I wanted to draw you in. I wanted, you know, I know that a lot of these shows, kind of what they do is like, look at this person and all their survivor skills. and They're such a badass, and, you know, and like put you on a pedestal. pedestal. And that, that's not what I wanted. I wanted the viewers to identify with me and see themselves out there yeah. and doing the same thing and give them that experience. And so I engaged with the camera in that way. And, and you know, to me, the camera was an audience that I was talking to. And I think that that did a lot for my, you know, mental health out there because while I knew that obviously you weren't actually there and interacting with me and it wasn't in real time, I also knew that I was going to be sharing this. And so that kept me feeling like I was still part of human community as well as the wild community out there, even though it wasn't actually true at the time. Um, and so, yeah, so you, the camera, you know, it was a mixed blessing. Obviously, it was where a lot of my time and energy went, and a lot of that felt wasted because they showed so little of my footage. But at the same time, the camera absolutely was a companion yeah. and um, kept me aware of the companionship of the whole world of humans that were out there and eventually going to be sharing this with me. And you shared a lot of really personal stuff. I was um, specifically very connected to when you were talking about the money versus not the money and what do you want to do and the self-care on those last days. And you were talking about what you would do with the money and that you've made relationships, you've made choices for your career and for your life that haven't included other things that you would consider like adopting. And all of that whole monologue section, I was just like, wow. I felt like, oh, same thing. The sacrificing of femininity to, to try to get ahead in a certain way and then you look back and you're in your 40s and it's like what did I do I don't have a kid anyway I don't know if that's where you're coming but that's what I felt from it like and I felt that for me I was like oh god I'm 45 I'm 45 and look at my choices and I'm not gonna have a kid and wouldn't it be great to adopt but I don't have the money to do that and like how do you share with the world and feel like you have things to share and then there are choices that you made so those aren't the opportunities that you get and Etc. So I felt like really connected to that. And then also when you're talking about your mom and all that stuff and your childhood, and I know they put that in to, you know, create a character for you. Um, but do you mm-hmm. feel like the character that they put out, does that, do you feel represented? Do you feel like they got you? Or do you feel like, well, they tried? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the things that you're referring to, yes. And it's interesting because I still was really, so there's a bunch, a bunch to say about that. One is that they really encouraged us to be really vulnerable and talk about, you know, what was true for us emotionally. And part of my choice to do that was, was that. And I think that you often see people, you know, a lot of things up for people and processing a lot of your life choices. And that was true for me too, but also it was particularly specific advice of one friend who is a friend who has done the show before. I actually have a lot of friends who have done this because those are kind of the circles that I, that I move in. And he told me, you know, like this 
journey is so intense that you it's really hard to do just for yourself and you want to find something you know a goal that's about someone that you love or something that you love or are really attached to to make the journey bigger than yourself and and so that's part of what prompted that conversation was my looking to that and certainly in terms of finances you know I'm a person who has chosen to live under the poverty line for most of my life because I've just always prioritized different things. I've prioritized freedom and, you know, being able to have wild adventures over financial security, and that's fine. But one of the goals that would make, you know, pushing it to get a bunch of money worth it would be something like being able to adopt because, again, you know, I wanted a family so bad for so much of my life and have had a lot of angst around that not happening at the same time it feels representative of like my life before alone and not as much now because i had a lot of time to think about and process those choices while i was out there and recognizing that like i'm so grateful to have the life that i have and the opportunities that i've had and had i had a family i probably wouldn't have gone out on a loan and <laughs> that was the most amazing experience of my entire life and i wouldn't trade it for anything right yeah. now and, you know, so I made those choices from the authentic place that I was in when those choices were up for me. So how would I go back and change that now? So I processed a lot of my regrets while I was out there. And so when I came back out and saw that footage, I was thinking, that doesn't represent me. Mm. But the truth is that it did represent me at one time, just not as much anymore because things have shifted. And I would also say that I'm, I'm someone who has dealt with a lot of sorrow and angst around not having had a family, but I don't think that I am a person who really, like I'm a person with a very positive forward thinking attitude and not someone who tends to go into like, woe is me places. Right. And so I feel like focusing on that maybe tainted me a little bit more in that light. Um, but it definitely, I mean, anyone who knows me knows that, knows that it's true that like not having had a family has been one of my major sorrows in life. So that's accurate. The part that really bothered me that feels less accurate is when they talked about um, they they did some uh, some careful editing to create some sentences that I didn't actually speak. Wow! And that was really frustrating. And that is really disappointing that, you know, to I've hear. Never, because you filmed yeah, so much and the, stuff. The one place that that was true, yeah. They, they had me say at one point towards the very end, I've never had enough money to eat well, and that's why I'm here. And that is, like, nauseating to Ooh. me to hear because that's not true, and I felt like it painted a very different picture of who I am. And, um, and it basically made me say that I was there for the money because I was desperate for money because I don't have enough money to eat otherwise, which is absurd. Um, and it is definitely true that I have lived on a lot less money than, you know, like well under the poverty line and that that has affected some of my food choices in terms of like being able to buy all of the healthiest organic food and whatever I want all the time. And yet the way they made it say that is like that I've been so poor that I'm starving and that that was my motivation for being on the show. And that was like a complete 180 and the furthest thing from the truth. So in that way, I felt very misrepresented. And, um, you know, I've had people write me saying, like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I hope you can afford to eat now. And oh, I'm just like, oh, God. my God. <laughs> That's awful. And, you know, I think that overall, you know, that one part. So they, they do interviews with you before you go, when you come back, and when they come and do medical checks. And sometimes they use that those audio clips and overlay it onto your time out as if it's what you're saying in the moment. Sure. 
And that's what happened with that clip. And it wasn't, that was, that was a moment when I like went out to the lake to sing this beautiful song of hope and joy. And instead they did this overlay of audio saying, I'm so poor me. I'm so poor. I can't afford to eat. And I'm just here so that I can afford to get a decent meal for once. And um, (laughs) I think that most people, most everyone I feel like who has written me, which is like hundreds, thousands of people, um, that part of the message is not what they can like. I think it's clear of like my energy and most of the things that like my joy and my positivity were what came through more. And the contrast of that one sentence was, um, you know, was big enough that they don't even see that as part of my journey. It seems like most people who write, and I hope that that's true. Um, but yeah, that was, that's a sore spot for me. That's the one major sore spot for me. And um, and with the whole fair enough. Um, Kat yeah. Plank is a person she wanted to ask a question. Um, your master's degree is in what? And uh, she says environmental science. Environmental oh, science. Sorry, I'll let you finish. Oh no! So she said mm-hmm. she's personally curious about your background. So environmental science, and it's obvious that you have mad skills that are extremely niche. Um, but how did you decide to learn those kinds of skills? And so I guess it would be when you were when you were 19, or was it when you were younger even that you you already said at the beginning you went into a, a, a skills program, a wilderness program when you were 19. Was that when you started this journey into ancestral skills, or was it before that that you had a great interest, even like as a young child? Yeah, that's a great question. Definitely as a young child, um, I was always super fascinated, like all of my favorite books, you know, like I had a book about Ishii when I was a kid and all of the little house books and Laura Ingalls um, Wild